Thanks for reading, Susie. Well, it's great to uh, open up Genesis with you again as we continue in our series. We've only got one more week. Uh, that's next week in our series, and then we're going to move to preaching through something else. I'm having a total mental blank on what we're going, doing next. Romans. Thank you. I clearly haven't started preparing those sermons, have I? <laughs> but uh, yes, we're up to the second last passage in uh, this section of Genesis. We're, we're, next week we're going to meet Abraham, but this week it's the Tower of Babel. Uh, and on a passage all about human pride, I think we better pray and ask for God's Spirit to help us as we look at his word together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, by your Spirit we pray that you speak to us now through your word. Show us who we are before you and shape us to be followers of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, today's passage, it, it just taps into something that's so human. Uh, humans, you know, they've, they've just had the flood, and then we, 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 they come out of the flood, and we see them again, and they're kind of at it again. They're finding new ways to rebel against God, to sin. Um, and I've been a bit surprised, I don't know about you, these early chapters in Genesis, they've been pretty sobering. It's just the humans uh, are made, and then they keep sinning. They keep doing the wrong thing, and God's always having to kind of try and correct it. And uh, again, today, we see another picture of that. Uh, they found a new way to sin uh, at, the babe, at the Tower of Babel. One of the key questions in our passage is, how can you make a name for yourself? How can you make a name for yourself? Um, it, it's so human, we want a name, but why? A LinkedIn writer and career coach, uh, Diane uh, Rolston, if, if you want to hear, you know, avert posturing, go to LinkedIn and you'll see a fair bit of it there. Um, so, you know, so she has an article on the subject, how to make a name for yourself. Uh, she says, you know, has a, a few key things you need to do. Firstly, align yourself with the company's values, mission and culture. Next, she says you need to connect with others. You know, she's imagining a workplace. Uh, next, you, you need to speak up. Uh, and of course, you need to make yourself more recognisable. And I think that the the builders at the Tower of Babel must have read this article uh, because really what they're doing is remarkably similar. Uh, And (laughs) there's nothing wrong with what Diane's saying uh, to do here. These are all good things to do. Um, You know, and much like the the building, building a city or building a tower, that's a good thing to do. But but motives matter. What, What are the motives? Why are people doing these things? You know, like, sure, of course we want to connect with people, but the reason to connect with people is to, to care for them, to help them. Is It's not really to make a name for yourself. So what's going on beneath this desire to make a name for yourself? Diane says, um, she says, when you're bought out by the big guy, how do you really prove that you should be there? You know, she says you need to make a name for yourself. Uh, and, and you can see here in this that just beneath the surface is this insecurity, there's this deep fear that the humans have. Uh, there's, there's this deep fear. How are we going to justify ourselves? How are we going to ensure our place? The Babel approach presents like a lion, full of pride and power, and yet it's also very timid. There's this deep fear and insecurity. Timid as a mouse, fearful of its place. Well, uh, as we kind of turn to our passages, we've got two chapters today, chapters 10 and chapters 11. Uh, And, of course, we've just had the flood, and so chapter 10, the earth is filled again. 
the, the nations uh, grow, they go out. We have what's called the table of nations. It lists the spread of humanity. And then in chapter 11, of course, we have the Tower of Babel. And then next week, we get another genealogy, that of Seth. And then we meet Abraham and the great promises made. And so that's, that's coming next week. Uh, and so like Genesis so far, it's kind of a, there's a retelling. You know, I don't know if you've noticed this happens. God, God kind of creates and then he kind of retells the story of the creation again. Um, and then here's the same. You have the table of nations, all the people spread out in chapter 10. And then in chapter 11, the story is kind of told again from another perspective, the Tower of Babel. Why did they spread? Um, so it's quite interesting to see. We're not really sure how they fit in together. As we go through, you might have some thoughts on chronologically, which one was first, the Tower of Babel or the Table of Nations, chapter 10, chapter 11. It doesn't really matter. But they're definitely commenting on each other. Well, let's dig in. Firstly, chapter 10. Uh, I've called it Earth-Filled. I've got a few basic headings. Uh, chapter 10, Earth-Filled. Let's have a look at 10, verse 1. It begins. These are the family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And they also had sons after the flood. And so chapter 10 kind of lists these. Uh, they're kind of like genealogies. It's listing the places that they all spread out. And there's a bit of a map there. People, clever people have plotted on. Uh, and so you can see all the sons of Ham are in the green there. And that's kind of some of the areas that they went to. And then in yellow, there's the sons of Shem. Shem is where we, by the way, where we get the word Semite. It's been in the media a lot this week, unfortunately. Um, Shem or Semites, uh, which are the Jews or the Israelites. Uh, and then uh, the red at the top is uh, Japheth and uh, his families. That's where they spread throughout. And you can see the kind of the picture that's being painted in chapter 10 of the table of nations is this is humanity. God has, has met, kind of made, repopulated the earth and they've gone out. And, uh, you know, th- this is the, uh, the Israelites' book, Genesis, and, and they're saying, yes, that pagan nation Babel, there they are, and they may hate God or wh- whoever. There they are, they've forgotten God, but everyone came from one family. At the beginning, everyone came from Noah, who was faithful, from his three sons, and then the whole world, not so long ago, they all came from Noah, from those faithful to God. And so that's kind of the story in chapter 10 being told. Well, there you go, chapter 10 done, that was easy. We'll go on to chapter 11. Uh, Chapter 11, I've called Earth Divided, uh, and um, chapter 11... It's, uh, it kind of, as I say, goes back right to the beginning of the flood uh, where people are going out, it's, it's, is what seems to be happening. Uh, and chapter 10, it's like, oh, it's all good, people spread, nothing to worry about. And then chapter 11 goes back and says, actually, things were not all so well. There was a lot of, uh, you know, things were not well between the people and God. Uh, and, and we have the story of Babel. Um, there are three basic scenes to the story of Babel. Uh, the humans build, and then God kind of observes and then judges. And uh, so I've got a few headings to kind of follow through. Firstly, human fame. Human fame. The humans say in verse 4, uh, let us make a name for ourselves. In, uh, in 11 verse 4, let us make a name for ourselves. And, and this desire to make a name, it's central to the story. Uh, the reason that they want the name and how they're going to get it is going to be elaborated on. But we note that everyone, everyone, all of us have a, uh, there's a kind of desire to have a name for oneself um, as individuals. But what's really interesting about this passage is it's not really talking about individuals, it's kind of talking about humanity as a whole, isn't it? It's, it's, 
It's saying this is how the humans behave. This is the way that they relate to God. They, they try and do this. It's, it's thinking about humans as a whole and how they uh, arrange themselves, how they think and operate. Uh, and to tell us this, as I say, it seems to go back uh, to just after the flood where everyone spoke one language. They were just one family. So 11 verse 1, it begins. Uh, At one time, the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary as people migrated from the east. They found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. So I've kind of put a little circle around Shinar for you. And you can see this is, a, this is the area they're talking about, and that is where the city of Babylon would be. And so this whole Tower of Babel account is kind of a... It's the Israelites critiquing this great city, Babylon. Um, and so, you know, it tells the story. that The people there in the valley of uh, Shinar, where, where Babylon would be. And there they are, these people, they've settled, and we're told it's a big valley. It's, it's really flat. Um, there are no stones. And so, how, you know... As soon as you hear about people settling in a big, a flat valley, the question is how they're going to defend themselves. It's flat, right? There's a problem there. And so that, that's kind of where the story goes. In, in verse 3, we have a solution. Verse 3. They said to each other, Come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And that's scene one. Scene one ends there. Um, it's, the whole thing, it's kind of, it's a scene set in the mind of the humans, isn't it? It's like, this is what they were thinking, and so this is what they did. It's all about the humans, and it, it, it repeats the phrase, let us, let us. The humans decisions and the human's actions. It's so rich. There's a lot of things going on. Let me pull out a couple of things that we notice. Firstly, the what? Like, what did they do? Well, they're building a city and a tower. Um, and then the next thing we notice is that they, they build it with bricks and not stone. Uh, and it's kind of really interesting. Like, why does it say bricks and not stone? Um, it could be saying that, you know, the, the Babylonians, where they are, oh, it's, you know, there's no stones there. It's all, it's all rubbish. It's a bit of a dig at them. And, and the word for asphalt that you see there, it's kind of like the word for slime. You know, oh, they don't even, they don't even have anything good over there. Uh, it's kind of a, a, it could be a bit of a dig, right, at them. Like, what a joke, those people over there. I can see none of you are laughing. Obviously, it's a bit of an inside joke. You'd have to be, you would have to have been an Israelite to have gotten that back then. But it seems to be part of what's happening here. The other thing that seems to be happening is um, it, it's kind of a, a comment on human technology, on human ingenuity, isn't it? You know, the baking of bricks, not the natural stone, is, is the humans uh, applying their minds and, and technology. You know, it's a piece of great engineering, uh, and they're trying to make God obsolete. Um, I think uh, chat GPT, right, at the moment, it's hot technology. I think everyone's pretty impressed with tales of its greatness. But back then, bricks, baked bricks, were pretty hot technology. I mean, they came out of the oven. They were hot. But uh, they, were, they were pretty impressive back then. Bricks were all the rage. And so it's kind of saying, wow, here they are using this new fandangled technology and they're building a tower. <laughs> so it's quite interesting. Um, but the, real, the really uh, deeper question is why. Why are they doing all this? Why do they want to build? And there seems to be two main things happening. 
Firstly, they build, uh, in verse 4, you see, a city and a tower. And the reason for the tower is, as kind of, as I said before, it's, it's a fortress, it's a secure uh, structure to defend themselves. Uh, and you kind of, you get that because uh, it mentions verse 4 being scattered. It seems to be what they're concerned about, that, you know, they'll be attacked by other peoples. Um, so they're afraid of being, you know, invaded. Uh, and there they are, as I say, exposed in their flat, stoneless valley. Um, but then it's also this other element, the city and the tower, they're going to make a name for themselves. Everyone's going to know that this is the great Babylon. And, and that was very much how Babylon was spoken about at the time. The great city. Um, it becomes a bit of a theme in Scripture, doesn't it? The great city erected kind of against God throughout Scripture. Babylon, Egypt, Assyria, you know, the West perhaps. Uh, their desire is to become what, you know, in geopolitics they call the the uh, regional hegemon. It's a way of saying they want to become the biggest, biggest person in the region. So, you know, in America, in their hemisphere, they're the biggest. They're unrivaled. Or, you know, China, like, they're the biggest. They can throw their weight around. That's, that, you can see this is what the people want. They want to be, in their area, the strongest. Uh, and it's, that's what we all want, isn't it? That's what we all want. I think everyone, you know, in, say, in your workplace, you want to be the best place. If a promotion comes up, you're going to get it. You want to be secure. You want to be essential. We want to, be, we want to carve out a little patch for ourselves uh, where we're safe, a safe space where we can be king. We're going to have our castle, our home. That's kind of, it's so human to want this, um, this fortress. But the second thing uh, going on here is clearly this religious element. There's a very religious dimension to what's happening here in the Babel story. Uh, you need to apply a little bit of cultural understanding to some of the words there. Uh, the word for tower, it also has its kind of use of a religious tower. Um, and then it, you know, it mentions uh, the tower going up to the sky, and the, the sky or the heavens was where the gods dwelt. So there's pretty strong religious connotations there. Gods were meant to be up in the heavens, looking down on the humans. And so you can see there's a bit of a drawing of a ziggurat here, a temple of that region. Uh, and it was a structure that was meant to get you closer to gods who were up in heaven. So every step that you climb up, you get a little bit closer to God. Um, you know, there's a picture of some of the remains of one at Ur. Uh, you know, many scholars think that the Tower of Babel could have been just like this, like a ziggurat. Um, certainly these are still around... Who really knows? Um, but back then, what we do know is that Babylon, uh, they, their big brag was that they had this huge, big temple, this big, tall temple. That was the, they were famous for their ziggurat. Um, and they were known as being the city that was close to the gods because of the height of this building. It was built up to the heavens. That's where the gods were. Gordon Wenham, an Old Testament scholar, says the tower was their attempt to trespass on God's realm. Like God, that's where God is. If we can get up there, it's like they were trying to trespass. He says the idea was effectively that they wanted to storm heaven. They wanted to invade heaven. Uh, you know, in a cartoonish kind of way, they're, you know, they're looking up at God. They're like, I'm going to come and get you, God, and I'm going to you know, kick you off your throne. It's kind of how I, how I imagine it. It's, uh, it's kind of absurd, and yet this is what the people are doing. Certainly, um, the tower and Babylon is presented in Scripture as being erected against God. You know, these, these cities are erected against God. They're great symbols of human pride. Um, Calvin, Calvin says that Babel teaches us 
that anyone who looks to make a great name for themselves, to become a towering figure, they fight against heaven. The question of uh, how to make a name for yourself, it's not often so crude. Like, if I'm going to be famous, I'll build a really tall building. Uh, and yet, you know, it's like, we, it's like we're still doing the same thing. Like, the, the history of the last hundred years and a bit, is, there's been this race to have the tallest building. So, you know, uh, going back, 1908, the Singer Building uh, was 187 metres tall. Uh, and currently, the Birch Khalifa is 828 metres tall, and so there's kind of been this race, people are always trying to outdo it. So maybe we haven't really gone much past the Babylonians trying to build this thing up and trying, trying to win by having the tallest building. Uh, these seem pretty aspirational until you look at the proposed buildings. Uh, these are, these are the, the tallest buildings that people have proposed to make, and, and the clear winner is what was called um, the, the Tokyo Tower of Babel. It was meant to be 10 kilometres high, uh, and you can see this is the, the little red line there is the current tallest tower. So it's just completely dwarfed, a little red pimple. Um, but this is, this is a really interesting idea, and uh, especially as it relates to Babel, um, because it was, the idea here is to stop humanity having to disperse. So uh, when it was proposed in 1992, um, the, Tokyo was spreading out as a city, and it was getting really full, and they said we need to kind of reverse the effects. And so you can see these diagrams, the circles of the city spreading out. But then they're going to try and build this tower and actually kind of reverse the effects. And so it'll, the city will start going up and up and up. Um, there was meant to be, you know, like a thousand stories. It was designed to house uh, 30 million residents. I don't know if you live in an apartment building, how many apartments there are. But this one was meant to have 30 million residents. And as I say, to reverse the, the effects of the spread... Um, so it's very, very interesting. Anyway, I'm going to stop going on about this building. Uh, this is what happens when your minister used to be an architect. Uh, let's, let's move on. Returning to this question of the, the motivation for the Babel Tower. Um, it's really about how to be powerful, uh, isn't it? How to, how to be secure, how to have a future, how to have a legacy. Um, how, how to mean something and not just be forgotten. That's what it, to have a name is. Uh, chapter uh, 11 is presenting, the Tower of Babel is presenting the human's attempt to do this. But then chapter 12, the next chapter in Genesis, gives us another way to do this, where we meet Abraham. And Abraham, rather than using human ingenuity, Abraham uses faith in God. It's recorded in uh, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. You can flip the page, or I've got it up on screen there. Let me read a little from that where we meet Abraham, there he's called Abram. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so this is the, the great promise, or one of the great promises of the Old Testament. God is he's promising to create a city, uh, to create a great name, and he's going to do it uh, through Abraham. Uh, and, you know, you notice the repeated refrain in that promise from God. God's saying, I will do this, I will do this, I will, I will, I will. The Babel story is all let us, let us, let us, let us. But we need to 
to uh, let God. We need to, as the cliche, as the old cheesy saying goes, let go and let God. We need to let go and let God. Abraham, he's called to leave his home. Uh, you know, in Babel, they're trying to build a city, make a home that's secure. Abraham's called to leave it, leave his home for a tent. It's going to be a downgrade. Uh, he's called away from the city. God is going to He's going to give Abraham security. You know, you'd think that Abraham leaving the city, going to a tent, would be insecure. But God is saying, no, I will give you the security. God promises to defend Abraham. If someone comes after you, I'll settle it. Leave it for me. I'll be the one that makes you secure. Uh, it's a, it's a, a completely different way of getting all the things that they wanted at the Tower of Babel. You know, yes, we work hard. Yes, we strive for security. But we do it in God's power, in the name of his kingdom. If I could return to the sermon introduction, uh, if you remember the LinkedIn article from Diane, uh, and there there was this question, when you're bought out by the big guy, how do you really prove that you should be there? You know, when we're called to justify ourselves before the big guy, the the biggest guy, of course, is God. When we're called to justify ourselves before the Lord, how are we going to prove that we should be there? Well, we can't. We, We can't. There's nothing that we can do to possibly prove that we can never build a name great enough in God's books. And so God here to Abraham, he offers, he offers Abraham, he offers all people a place in his city, a name. He brings them together under the name of Jesus in his family. God offers salvation to all in Christ Jesus. God has justified all who call on the name of Jesus. For all who want a place, he gives one. They just need to call on the name of Jesus rather than trying to make a name for themselves. You know, God's kingdom in Jesus is that, you know, remember Diane's points at the start, how to make a name for yourself? First of all, align yourself to the values and mission and culture. You know, that's what we need to do with God's kingdom. His his is the kingdom that we need to be aligning our values to and calling on his name. Uh, but if you, if you do call on the name of Jesus, if, that's someone, if this is something you do, if you're a follower of Jesus, then I think the Bible story at this point has a great challenge for us all to search our own motivations. Uh, you know, like making bricks in the heat and carting them up ziggurat steps, it's hard work. It's hard work. Uh, and I know many of us are working very hard in our jobs. That's the Sydney work culture expectation, isn't it? Working very hard. Uh, and working hard is good, But I think we need to search our motivations. Make sure you're not working hard to make a name for yourself. Most of Sydney is. Most of Sydney works hard to get a name. Uh, They fear security. They're they're trying to make sure they're okay, to earn their place. But in Jesus, we've been given a place. We've been given a name. And so if we work hard, it needs to be for a different reason. Well, let's continue with our story. We've uh, we made through scene one. <laughs> we'll pick up the pace a bit. With now with scene two, uh, we, we cut to God. Remember, scene one's been the people, there they are. And now we, we zoom out and we cut to God. And we're given God's finding. Uh, and God's perspective, he begins by mocking the human efforts. You see, the humans, they've been building the biggest building that they can make. A tower to rival all. But God... Up in heaven, he's having trouble seeing it. It's so small. He's, you know, he gets out his magnifying glass. He, he can't even see it. And so he has, to, he has to come down out of heaven to actually even have a look at it. Have a look at verse 5 of chapter 11. It says, Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the men were building. 
It's, it's a bit like God's the construction supervisor coming out to check out the progress. Um, it's a bit of a reminder, isn't it, that God, God sees all. He observes all the creation he's made, and he, he inspects and he judges. We get God's response in verse 6. It says, The Lord said, If they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they do will be impossible for them. It's such an interesting uh, way to put it. It almost reads like God's getting a bit worried. He's like, oh no, they're coming for me. Uh, you know, almost like he's threatened. Uh, but of course God uh, couldn't be threatened. Is he, is he playing along? Um, no, I think God's actually saddened. I think he, he sees what they're doing and he's, he's saddened. You know, remember his plan was that they would spread and fill the earth. Uh, the great danger that God sees is what they will do if they're left unchecked, if they're, if they're not stopped. Uh, there's something about their working together like this which will result in much sin. God comments, nothing will be impossible for them. And uh, you know, perhaps on view here is the, kind of the oppressive nature of these huge human regimes. We've seen this through history. Historically, the human dreams of utopia um, result in much oppression. We, we see this time after time. I was, um, picked up a book the other day that uh, kind of caught my eye uh, about utopia. I think, I think I've got the title there. No? There we go, Utopia for Realists. This guy's not, not a believer, um, but even he can see uh, that there's a problem when we try and build these great human utopias. He's a, he, he would like to try and you know, build a better world, and that's what the book is about. And yet he, he says... Um, our dreams have a way of turning into nightmares. Utopias are a breeding ground for discord, violence, and even genocide. And certainly, historically, that has been true as you look at these big regimes that have um, grown. And so it seems to be God's restraining hand here is actually to, to stop the humans hurting one another, uh, resulting in more sin. And, uh, and God does that by dividing them. I think another dimension, though, is the, the human pride. Um, if human pride is left unchecked, it will result in even more pride, more forgetting of God. You know, there they are. They're, they're denying God. They're trying to, to rival him. And God, he wants, he wants them to, to fall into correct relationship with him. And so his putting an end to this is a way of, of trying to help them. He's checking their pride. He's, he's uh, putting an end to it that they might uh, relate correctly to him. Uh, and, and that's part of the great play on words in the Babylon story. Um, the Babylon it was the city that was meant to reach the heavens. It was called the gate to God, the gate to God. Uh, but Genesis says that's rubbish, rubbish. Uh, and it has this great play on words. The word Babel is, is the word for like confusion. Uh, and so you, you notice that it says Babel is, is confused. And so the, the, the story is mocking the great city of Babylon, it's saying that, you know, they think you're doing something great, but they're just lost, they're just confused. It's folly, that they don't know God. And so God, he, he cuts them down uh, that they might see the pride and their mistake. The, uh, the question is, whose hand is going to save us? By whose hand are we going to be secure and saved? By Babylon, with human engineering, or by God? Uh, and, you know, of course, we, try and, we do need to try and make the world a better place. We need to try and build good cities. But ultimately, we must look to God. All right, our last scene then in the story is uh, the fate of the humans. What will life be like for them now? 
God curbs their sin and he forces them to spread. And we get it in verse 7. God says, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. And so God breaks the effectiveness of their communication. He creates a diversity in their languages, and thus you, know, you get cultures and different nations uh, out of that. Verse 8 continues, So from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. And so what was the location of unity is then the point of dispersion. Uh, you know, the tools are down, the project is abandoned. It's been um, strange looking at this passage this week. It's, it's strange uh, looking at it with you now, just because it's been such a terrible week, hasn't it? Uh, there's been so many sad things. Um, you know, yesterday we, we voted on The Voice, um, and this was meant to bring us together, that we could help, you know, the First Nations people. And yet, look at the division it's caused in our nation. Like, we're all, it's like, everyone's just at each other's throats. It's been really sad to watch the division caused by it. Um, you know, and then, of course, we had the, the terrible violence in Gaza between the, uh, the two nations, Israel and Palestine. And then they are, and you can see, again, the division of the, of the nations. Uh, and uh, in, in the middle of the week, I don't know if you caught the... In the news, Russia has um, been refused entry to the UN Human Rights Council. Uh, and so this great hope of the United Nations that we would have this Human Rights Council, we as, a, as the whole world would kind of agree on this and we could work together, um, it's kind of fallen apart because you know, one of the largest countries in the world is not in it. Um, and so it is sad. Like You can really see uh, the effects of the Babel dispersion, it's painfully evident. Um, humans, war, war is bad. War is not good. The Bible is not saying war is good. The Bible is not saying God wants war. Um, but but you, you're left uh, thinking, well, didn't God cause that to happen? Isn't that what God wants? He, he did that, and now we have all these wars. And so, is that what God wants? Does he want us to be divided? Well, there's much to say, but uh, the final point to consider is God's future, God's plan. Because God's plan for humanity isn't to stay divided, but to be united. God says through his prophets, I will come, I'll judge, and I'll gather, and I'll save. Uh, The final picture of humanity is that of a united humanity. And so Zephaniah 3.9, through his prophet, he says this, For I uh, I will then restore pure speech, to the peoples, so that all of them may call on the name of Yahweh and serve him with a single purpose, or literally serve him shoulder to shoulder. So there's actually a little vision there of what Babel was meant to be, all the people working together of one speech, serving together uh, for good. And so the vision of the end is all of humanity uh, speaking with one voice, crying out hallelujah in the name of Jesus, and we get a little taste of it in uh, in Acts, of course, the Pentecost. I don't know if you, were, if, you if in your head you were thinking, what about Pentecost? Because uh, in Acts, uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon the people, and then uh, the followers of Jesus all start speaking in different languages. So there's it's kind of like all these people from different nations there. Imagine if in this room we had people from ten different nations, ten different languages, 
and no one could understand each other, but then, you know, there's the disciples here, and then they all suddenly can speak these different languages, and they're all telling people the gospel in their own tongue. And so it's kind of this uh, reversal of Babel. Let me read the verse, Acts 2 verse 4. Um, describes the moment. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them the ability of speech. And then verses 5 to 11 go on and continue to describe how the different people from different nations could understand. Uh, Peter then explains that this was what the prophet had said would happen. uh, So that, uh, verse 21, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this is the great vision that all will be, at the final day, all will be singing out with one voice, looking to the name of Jesus. Um, Mankind, we don't need to build a city up to God to be saved. God comes down in Jesus to save them in the name of Christ. I think that's a pretty good place to end and wrap up the Tower of Babel. Why Why don't we pray and call on the name of God now? Heavenly Father, how majestic are the works of your hands, Father, we dare not look to our own strength, but look to you, the great Lord of all, to be saved in the name of Jesus. And Father, we pray, set us free from the need to make a name for ourselves, but may we be found in Jesus, and may his name and his labor be our peace and security and hope until our final day. Amen.